Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Robison, and I'm a candidate for the North Carolina State Senate representing Charlotte's District 39. I'm also your host for the Elephant in the Room podcast. And this is where we tackle issues that are on people's minds, but may not be talked much about until now. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that if you follow financial news at all, even just glancing at the Wall Street Journal from time to time, you will have heard of, and that is ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. This has turned into a new way for companies to be measured, which is a lot different than more traditional methods, like, for instance, the one, three, and five-year rates of return numbers, volatility measurement, and the like. So my guest today to dissect this all for us is Ronald Stein, and he's an engineer. He's founder of PTS Advance, and he draws on decades of project management and business development experiences. Um, He's an international published columnist, energy expert, a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author as well, uh, who writes frequently about all aspects of energy and economics. He's also a policy advisor for the Heartland Institute. Ron, thank you so much for being on today. Mark, glad to be aboard. So, Ron, I've been in the asset management industry for the last 25 years, and about 15 years ago, I was exposed to something called microfinance, and that's an instrument that helps the global poor help themselves via capitalism. Now, that entailed small banks called microfinance institutions all over the world, making small loans to individuals in developing countries so they could start small businesses. Uh, The guiding principle is giving a hand up rather than a handout, and it perfectly matches the term, you know, you've probably heard it before. If you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. And that's been around for about 50 years. What really astonishes me, too, is, is really... Uh, the fact that there's an almost non-existent default rate. And one of these days, I'll do another podcast on that subject in the future. But why I'm bringing this up in our context today is that this was the first time that I heard the term SRI, which is socially responsible investing. Now, listen, this seemed like a great idea. And coming from the asset management industry, I thought this was a great new category of asset classes and, you know, that it'd be a great option for investors looking to diversify their investment portfolios into this area, you know, while doing some good, really. Um, but here's what I've been hearing a lot about recently, and that is ESG, environmental, social and governance. And that's the subject of today's conversation. You know, like a lot of new strategic initiatives, it appears to look good from 30,000 feet and appear to be about doing good. Um, But now ESG seems to be a mandatory piece of every company's mission statement, kind of like DEI and other reporting that's required by corporations. So rather than this being an asset class, it's a way to diversify. ESG looks a lot different than the socially responsible investing asset class that I was enthralled with many years ago. In fact, they're really nothing alike. So, Ron, if you don't mind staying zoomed out here at 30,000 feet with me, what exactly is ESG? ESG is, as you mentioned, environmental, social, and governance. Uh, One of the key goals is divesting of fossil fuels. Uh, One of the main things they want to do is reduce emissions at any cost. And emissions are related to fossil fuels. So that's the number one target. Right. The, the interesting aspect is you have to take a look at crude oil is 100% useless unless you can manufacture it into something usable. 
Right. And by using it, you know, today, crude oil is the only known source we have for the oil derivatives that get manufactured out of crude oil that makes more than 6,000 products in our daily lives. These products that didn't exist 200 years ago. And it also manufactures the fuels for cars, trucks, ships, planes, the military, and the space programs. We got a rocket launching in the next few weeks and going to the moon. This thing weighs 4.4 million pounds. Oh, my goodness. You want to get that off the ground. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to take more than a battery to get it off the ground. It sounds like it. But, yeah, like you say, the the main goal of ESG is – divesting in fossil fuels. And since fossil fuels is the only thing that makes all the products in our daily lives, you know, I've written articles that ESG is really extreme shortages guaranteed because they're basically reducing their crude oil supply or reducing the amount of manufacturing to make the products. Yes. At the same time, demand is increasing. Mark, there's, you know, we got a world of 8 billion people and 80% of this world is living on less than $10 a day. Right. Those are developing countries. And it's interesting. It's only the wealthy and healthy countries that are so-called going green. You take the United States, uh, Germany, the UK, Australia. They represent about 500 million people Yeah. of the 8 billion. And literally, they're the ones who want to go to net zero. And that's why we're going to divest in fossil fuels because, you know, they have emissions. And but you could literally wipe those four countries off the face of the earth. Every person, animal, manufacturer, clean them off, get rid of them. And you know what's going to happen to emissions? They're going to explode because of the developing countries, China, India, Africa. They've got thousands of coal-fired power plants. They're building thousands more. Uh, They have you know, they don't have enough money to subsidize themselves out of a paper bag. Yeah, I mean, right. They, have, they haven't joined the Industrial Revolution. They would like to live like us, but they're not. Um, and so, yeah, we. I think the main goal of, of the world is to get those people out of poverty. Because right now, you know, there's, they're talking about, you know, people dying from air pollution and uh, weather changes. But in developing countries, there's 11 million kids dying every year. Every year, from diarrhea, malnutrition, diphtheria, uh, and all the diseases, everything, all the diseases that are curable with the medications we have, right? Because uh, you know everything changed in 1900. That was when you know we invented the automobile, we invented the airplane, and we really started discovering what we can get out of oil. And uh, there's different, you know. Derivatives manufactured, and we got, you know, resins and plastics, and you know, everything in the hospital is made with fossil fuels. Well, think about it. everything in your house, your workplace, the hospital. It's all made with fossil fuel derivatives. In fact, trying to identify something that was not made with fossil fuels, and so they, uh, like I said, they're cutting their nose off to spite their face. And you mentioned the, the book that I wrote, Clean Energy Exploitations. It was nominated for Pulitzer Prize because it was trying to bring transparency to the fact that all the wealthy countries, the four that I named, that want to go green, requires 
all these exotic minerals and metals, the lithiums and the cobalts, oh, yeah. to build EV batteries and to build wind turbines and solar panels. And all that mining is in developing countries that have yellow skin, brown skin, black skin people, no environmental controls, no labor controls. And we're just exploiting them so we can feel good about going green. In fact, after after writing the book and knowing where the lithium is coming from, you know, I've made a personal decision. You know, I will not buy an EV. And the reason I won't buy it is for ethical reasons, because I know where the lithium is coming from. Mm-hmm. And I'm not willing to financially support the environmental degradation and humanity atrocities occurring in developing countries. You've heard of blood diamonds. I have. It's all blood me about that. Right. Yeah. DiCaprio, you know, he made a yeah. mark on himself. And he's the one promoting to go green. But it, it's it's interesting that he's, he's promoting the environmental degradation and humanity atrocities to go green because that's the only way to do it. And the governments, you know, it's, it's pathetic. They offer subsidies, subsidies mm-hmm. to buy an EV, subsidies to build a wind farm, subsidies to build a solar farm. And those subsidies are financial incentives for these developing countries to continue exploiting people. And I think it's ethically and morally irresponsible. But, hey, you know, that's that's what they're doing. And, uh, you know, that's their decision. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's that's where ESG is really going. Well, there, there's an interesting I, while you were talking, I was just kind of in my mind. There's two things I was thinking about. One. Um, it seems like we are just we're constantly on ourselves about, oh, we've got to be clean. We got I'm looking out at the sky right now here in North Carolina. It's beautiful blue sky. Uh, I saw a picture of Beijing recently and you couldn't really see that far in front of your face. Same in India. And yet we are whipping ourselves. And when I say we, you know, North Americans, Europeans, we're whipping ourselves when I don't see that at this point in time. We are the cause of all this pollution. And yet it's why are we whipping ourselves when it looks like we're not the ones causing this? Well, Mark, you're right. You know, as I mentioned, you can eliminate America, UK, Germany, Australia, and emissions are going up. The interesting thing about technology, I've got tremendous faith in humans' ingenuity because when the auto was invented in the 1900s, it was it was smoking. And the early refineries were smoking, but with technology, you you learn how to control the emissions and the particulates that are coming out. And you know, today, you know, cars are pretty clean. They're you know getting their 40, 50 miles to a gallon. In mm-hmm. refineries, when you see all that smoke, it's not smoke; it's steam. So anything that comes out of refineries, and so that's pretty clean up. They they haven't put that focus on in China and these developing countries yet. But, um, you know, all they got to do is do that. And they would basically clean up their act like like we cleaned up our act. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned subsidies as well, because that is a very big subject, especially in um, in North Carolina. And really, every state's got this. I know that in California, it's huge. What I'm seeing, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm running for the state legislature. My opponent, who's a uh, she is uh, an incumbent, um, you know, her website, she talks about she's for climate justice. And then you find out her family uh sell solar panels. They're in the solar uh, panel industry. And all of a sudden the governor is giving subsidies uh, to 
these companies and her company. And, you know, it makes you think, well, you know, if if that isn't, uh, <laughs> that seems like a, a little bit on the, the old school side of corruption. However, do you think that these subsidies are helping at all? They're helping the developing countries. <laughs> They're not helping us. Right. The, the interesting aspect is, you know, by... Like I say, she wants justice. I'm I'm for humanity, because when you take a look at uh, crude oil, the world was about a billion people, and it populated from one billion to eight billion in less than two hundred years, all because we have all these products in our daily lives. You know, we can live in any climate condition. We've eliminated like ninety eight percent of climate weather related deaths. And we have a medication system, telecommunications, electronics. We have wastewater treatment. We've got a lot of infrastructures that did not exist. Um, and that has allowed us to populate from one to eight billion people. Today, we got, there's worldwide, there's 50,000 jets. There's 50,000 merchant ships. Wow. And these are moving products all over the world. And you, if anybody wants to get rid of crude oil, you know, Mark, before we get rid of crude oil, I'm all for getting rid of crude oil. But, hey, before we do that, what's going to replace it? Who's going to make the derivatives to make all these products? Because I'm not willing to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. <laughs> and that's basically what they want to do is, you know, jump out of the airplane without a parachute because they have no backup plan. Right. But you, you get rid of crude oil. And, you know, they talk about, you know, there'll be people dying from climate change. Well, climate has been changing for 4 billion years, and we've been able to attack that. We've got four seasons. Uh, you know, every state has their own challenges. You know, the northern states have their challenges. California doesn't have any challenges. We have a, you know, you know pretty pretty mild climate out here. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it, it's amazing that no one's recognizing that if you get rid of crude oil, you're going to get rid of billions of people. When you ground all those jets, ground, you know, all those merchant ships, but best of all, you ground Air Force One. <laughs> you know? Right. But I don't know how Biden can, you know, flying in his airplane, say, I want to get rid of crude oil. Well, your, your plane is flying on crude oil. It's made so of crude John oil. Kerry's, and so are right. the activists. that you DiCaprio, know. right. Everybody right. has a private jet. But... The interesting thing is, if you do get rid of crude oil, you will get rid of wind turbines and solar panels and vehicles, yeah. because everything that is made with fossil fuels, the EV and all vehicles are 100% made with fossil fuels. All the plastics, the circuitry, the tires, right? they run on asphalt. Um, yeah. You know, we got fertilizers are coming out of, you know, fossil fuel products, natural gas, which helps feed the world. So, you know, people want to go back to net zero. Mark, we had net zero in the 1800s. Yeah. There was no coal-fired power plants. There was no natural gas power plants. There was no nuclear power plants. The Beverly Hillbillies didn't discover oil yet. Right. <laughs> and, it was, you know, life was hard. People very seldom lived, uh, you know, 40 years of age. And when they were born, they very seldom moved to travel to 100 miles from where they were born. That is a right. zero emission society. And ironically, most of the world is is in a depressed 
you know, situation. Like you say, they're living on, you know, less than $10 a day. And, uh, you know, they can barely put food on the table for one day. And, and they're causing all the emissions, the right. burning cow dunk, you know, for heat and, mm-hmm. you know, burning wood. And, uh, you know, like you say, it, it's only the healthy and wealthy countries that are doing this. And the healthy and wealthy countries are doing this because, as you mentioned, you need a backup because you can't rely on breezes and sunshine. And that's only giving you electricity. Right. Because wind turbine solar panels, they can manufacture absolutely nothing for society. All they do is generate electricity intermittently. Intermittently is the key, I guess, right? Exactly. And, you know, one of the farces about these renewable electricity is they get subsidies based on their nameplate rating. Now, if I'm going to install a 100 megawatt solar power plant, the subsidy is based on the 100 megawatt rating. Well, if you have a power plant, be it coal, natural gas, nuclear, it's got a 100 megawatt rating annually, it's going to generate 90 plus percent of that kind of power taking time for maintenance and whenever it's down out of operation. But wind turbines and solar panels, they can generate maybe a single digit annually. Right. Right. And they're not, they're they not be. capable of, 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 of meeting anywhere near the demand that there is for energy. Right. And if they're given the subsidies to generate that much power, they should be penalized if they can't generate that much power. And they can't good luck with that. They can't. They can't. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. They can't take that because they've got no control of the wind and sun. So that brings me to. The question, how did ESG enter the picture? What, what, what is what is that all about? When did it come about? What is that? And and is that just a way to try and shut the industry down? Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? I think it was total confusion that renewable energy is going to replace fossil fuels. Because that that was probably the first mistake, because it's not renewable energy. It's only renewable electricity. <clears throat> And as I mentioned, wind and solar cannot do what oil does. You can manufacture things out of oil. You can't do any, you can't manufacture anything out of wind and solar. So that was the original. And I I see that in all kinds of articles. Newsom, my governor Newsom in California, Biden, Mm -hmm. they keep talking about renewable energy. This is Mm -hmm. what pays fossil fuels. But it's only renewable electricity. And wind and solar can generate absolutely nothing for society. In fact, everything that needs electricity is made with the oil derivatives. That's incredible when you think about it, yeah. You know, like I say, your your iPhone, electricity can charge your iPhone, but it can't make your iPhone. It can make a defibrillator work in the hospital, Mm -hmm. but it can't make the defibrillator. So without oil, you'll have no products. We'll be basically living like the primitives live. We'll be competing with the animal kingdom. <laughs> right. Well, the the environmental, I mean, this is the, we've certainly covered the environmental piece of this. What about the social and the governance parts? I mean, what it seems like these these are coming down. Uh, I don't know whether the corporations have self-inflicted this or I mean, it seems like um, now if you don't have ESG, then you are going to be you know, banned from uh, so many. I, I think BlackRock is divesting from companies that from investing in companies that don't have ESG. What does the social and governance part look like? 
basically it's a talking on both sides of the mouth. They're talking about, you know, ethical supply chains. You know, the ESGers should read the book, Clean Energy Exploitations, mm -hmm. because you want you want to go green with, you know, EVs and wind and solar. Well, they're all made with all these exotic minerals. Minerals are coming out of developing countries. And if you want an ethical supply chain, you got to have labor laws. You got to have environmental laws. The, you know, lithium mining is strip mining. It's the dirtiest mining around. Mm -hmm. You know, people say coal mining is dirty. Coal mining is clean compared to lithium. Yeah. Lithium's atrocious. And I know the Inflation Reduction Act that uh, Biden signed. The there's a clause in there that if you want to qualify for your subsidy to buy your EV, the lithium has to be mined in America. Mark, that ain't going to happen. They're not going to let a lithium mine in America. Good you luck with that as well. Good grief. Exactly. I mean, the, the environmentalists would be the first one to step up and say, you're not going to destroy this landscape. Of course. You know, you might get the lithium, you might do some processing here, but you're not going to mine for it here. Right. And so, yeah, all the mining in, in for a EV battery, the Tesla battery, the mm -hmm. small ones, the small ones are a thousand pound batteries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it requires moving about half and 500,000 pounds of earth for all the different metals that you need to make the uh, EV battery. And that's the small car. Yeah. But, you know, most people are driving, you know, SUVs. Now you go to SUV, now the battery gets bigger. You know, Biden all excited about the Ford 150. You know, it's got an EV, best-selling truck in the history of mankind. But the Ford 150, its battery is 1,600 pounds. Good grief. And Hummer, Hummer's got a, Macho Hummer has an EV version. This battery is 5,000 pounds. 5,000 pounds for the battery itself, not the not yeah. the structure of the vehicle. It's a 10,000-pound tank. Oh, my goodness. No, I didn't these, know that. I had no idea. <laughs> and these EVs, they're heavier. They're putting a lot of stress on the road. They are. And best of all, they're paying nothing to maintain the roads. Well, I was going to say that the infrastructure of the interstate system and just you know secondary roads is not going to be able to handle this for very long. Well, let me give you some statistics. In California, we have about 400,000 miles of roadway. And the fuel taxes collects about $7 billion, right. which helps maintain that. Of course. Now, as you know, Newsom wants to go to all EVs. Well, if you go to all EVs, that $7 billion goes to zero. So who's maintaining the roads? Oh. Plus, they're, heavy, they're heavier cars. Well, two things are happening. The, uh, the VMT is coming, the vehicle mileage tax. You know, basically user pays. You, know, you drive 100 miles, you're going to pay yeah. for using roads for 100 miles. Um, the the other one in the UK, you, you keep hearing about everybody's got grid stability problems, brownouts, yeah. blackouts. Well, the UK has, a, I think, a great solution. In the UK, if you have a charger, home charger or charger at work, it is programmed to not work nine hours a day. Okay. During, during peak load requirements, because they don't want to put additional load on a heavily burdened right. you know, grid. But best of all, those EV chargers are on a separate meter because they know separate. they're going to have to re separate meter. They know they're going to have to rebuild the grid, and uh, wow. who's going to pay for it? The 
people charging EVs. That's interesting. So they are able to differentiate who is using the energy for what. Oh, exactly. Yes. And being on a separate meter, they could basically, you know, like I say, it's not going to operate nine hours a day, but if they have a grid problem, <laughs> they'll just turn it off. So the purpose of ESG, it sounds like in the up in the, the 30,000 feet is to say, oh, well, we're going to be, you know, we, we are going to be cleaner. We're going to force companies to be uh, more efficient, more clean. Of course, there are, these requirements only happen in the United States to to American companies, but what is the negative unintended consequence? Or, I mean, I know, I think you've already answered that, but if you had to say, you know, one thing that is, is the negative unintended consequence of ESG, what would that be? Well, as, as I mentioned, uh, ESGers, Bidens, and Newsom's, the DiCaprio's, Jane Fonda's, they're mm-hmm. all, you know, basically oblivious to the fact that everything that needs electricity is made with oil drugs. Right. You know, in an all electric world with just wind and solar electricity from breezes and sunshine, there'd be nothing to power. And it's interesting that going to net zero emissions, basically, you can interpret the other way around. They're basically saying all the products and fuels we now get from fossil fuels that are supporting lifestyles and economies, they're dangerous and polluting. And causing dangerous climate change. I mean, that's that's their motivation. Yeah. But they have no backup plan. Like I say, I'm I'm all for getting rid of oil if they want to get rid of oil, but what are you gonna use? Who's gonna make your iPads? Who's gonna make your defibrillators? And there's also the transition because it's you know, I, I keep hearing about it's almost like uh the Biden administration looks at it as ready, fire, aim. You know, in other words, Tomorrow we need to switch off oil and gas. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the um, uh, of how we left Afghanistan. It was just okay. We're gone. We're not supposed to be here anymore. So we're just going to leave tomorrow, and we're going to leave everybody behind because we've got to go. It's almost like we're doing that to the fossil fuel industry when it should be more of a transition if we're going to leave it at all. You know, when the Russians hacked that pipeline on the East Coast, and uh, oh I yes, said, I do. I I said that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to America. Polonium. Biden want Biden want to get rid of fossil fuels. He just did. <laughs> Shut down the East Coast. Yeah, it was <laughs> especially awful here because it went right through the Southeast. But you know, another thing is, like I say, the infrastructure developed in the last two centuries. Uh, all those products, you know, from crude oil, they're basically saying they're not needed by future societies because you get rid of crude oil, refiners are only around to manufacture crude oil into usable products. So you get rid of crude oil, you get rid of the refineries. Right. And so it's going to eliminate your medical industry, your electronics, communications, all the transportation infrastructures, the airlines, emergency ships, automobiles, trucks, military, all the space programs, everything. It's, you know, everything in a hospital, going to hospital, it's just amazing the technology that has developed over the last decade alone yeah but but in you know less than 200 years we have something that did not exist and like say they they've got nothing to replace it the the confusion is net zero net zero is a trojan horse because to go to net zero you know you're gonna have shortage and inflation and perpetuity We're, we're seeing that now 
term perpetuity rather than it phasing out at some point. So you're saying this this is there's no way to fix that. Right. They're talking about transition of energy. It, it's all they're doing is trying to transition to a different form of electricity. But they haven't found a way to transition to something else that's going to make your iPad. Wow. So that's if they in that's, plastics that's, when plastics came on the scene, what was in the 1960s? Well, guess what? Plastic is oil. Exactly. And, uh, you know, all the resins, um, you know, all the paints, uh, like I say, you can go on and on, but there, there's really nothing in our daily lives that is not made with those orange ribbons. Now, the big problem that is really below, it's really a dark cloud on society is the fact that in the world, there's 700 refineries mm -hmm. providing all these products for the 8 billion people. Yeah. Well, in the next five years, it projected, these are all old refineries because they're all built relatively about the same time. And they're getting very expensive to maintain and you can't borrow money. ESG was loaned the money. And so the bank, it's- let me, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the, the, so the banks who have this ESG requirements are told, well, we can't invest in building new refineries. So the last refinery built was what, in the 70s, 80s? I don't know, maybe I'm off. Yeah, it goes, it goes way back. But the, the problem is that it's forecasted that in the next five years, 20% of those refineries are gonna shut down. Oh my gosh. That's 140 refineries. At the same time, we're trying to bring these these six billion people out of poverty in developing countries, and you know the countries that are going green. Well, Germany was the first country to go green. Mm -hmm. They now have the highest cost of electricity in the world, and uh, oh. you know the United States and UK and Ca California. I think we're right behind Germany with the cost of our electricity, but it's it, it's nuts. Like you say. And the problem is the wealthy people can pay it. The people that are on the brink, you know, people live paycheck to paycheck, they're in a bad situation. Because when I gas up my car, yeah, you know, I, I can put 80, 100 bucks in my car. I can afford it. Right. But I always think about the person flipping burgers. Mark, you know, they're they're trying to put food on the table. They're trying to pay utilities, pay rent. And you know, they're making uh, choices they shouldn't have to be making. Exactly. And they don't have an extra couple hundred bucks a month yeah. to uh, to pay that. Not at all. And and then when you take a look at well, take a look at EVs. I mean, I wrote an article that I think the auto industry has been mandated into a death spiral. <laughs> because, you know, by 2035, they're all gonna be making EVs. Right. They avert they virtually eliminated the hybrid. I thought the hybrid as an engineer was the greatest thing. Came yeah. out because you double your gas mileage. Best of both. And it buys us it buys us fifty years to develop battery technology, but the auto industry has been mandated to eliminate them <laughs> because that's a gasoline car, mm -hmm. and they've got to reduce the emissions of what they manufacture. So to do that, they eliminated it's that so gasoline extreme. car. It's so extreme. So so now you have uh, you know in twenty thirty five there'll be all EVs <laughs> in. Just a couple of years ago, I think the United States manufactured like 10 or 11 million vehicles. But when you take a look at China, India, and Germany, they manufactured 50 million. So all, all these EVs are being manufactured over there. Now you got a challenge. Um, where are you going to get the batteries? 
There's a shortage of lithium. Yeah. Chile has half half lithium in the world. And the locals recognized, you know, lithium mines, you know, they're going to put a lithium mine in our backyard. The Supreme Court agreed and shut it down. So there's going to be a shortage of lithium. And I'm not sure where the batteries are going to come from as a shortage of lithium gets gets realized the you know everybody's going to be bidding for it so that's going to increase the price of lithium which is going to increase the price of evs which doesn't need to be increased <laughs> it has to be decreased right. so you're going to have you know basically where are the batteries uh you get down to where are the buyers because you take a look at the profile here in california you know in the united states we have about almost half the evs in the entire country right we have the most temperate climate also right and the interesting thing about that is the EV owners are highly educated, high income, multi-car families, and they've got a house to charge the car. In California, half the population is Hispanic and African-American. Not highly educated, mm-hmm. not high income. They're not multi-car families, and they park in the street. And that's going to be it's an out of touch ruling elite class is what it sounds like. They're so they have no idea how this is going to affect people that do live paycheck to paycheck. Then you have the problem of how you're going to get the cars from foreign countries over to here. Well, in early March, I don't know if you read about it, but there was a cargo ship that caught fire off the West Coast and burned for for days and sank. Right. And uh, it burned for three days. The crew members got off safe. But 4,000 cars, they were cheap ones. I remember that. Batleys, Maseratis, Lamborghinis, 4,000 cars, bottom of the ocean. Anyhow, the fire was either caused or contributed by an EV battery fire. Because when these EVs ignite, they're a chemical fire. You can't put them out. All you do is clean it. It takes time. Well, now that you are Lloyds of London, you're not going to be too excited about insuring the next cargo ship. (laughs) And so, you know, how you get them from there to here. And then let's go back to ESG. They want an ethical supply chain, but the ethical supply chain is not there. I mean, those that lithium is coming from, you know, exploiting people with yellow, brown, and black skin, and you know, basically, you're in, they're encouraging blood minerals to make the EV. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of dark clouds on the future of EVs, and like I say. Uh, and then the other situation, as I mentioned, you got refineries shutting down. Yeah. Well, all the parts, and you you see it in today's news. You know, there's shortages of everything. You can't even build a house because you can't get a you know the doors. You know, can't get the hinges. You know, because everything's made with oil derivatives manufactured from fossil fuels, and you're eliminating about twenty percent of the manufacturers. Right. And so, that's going to do nothing but drive the cost of vehicles up and further out of the reach of everybody. So I, I I think it's going to be disastrous. You know, when I drive down, you know, I'm in California, I can drive down Newport, Laguna Beach, or in some of the lower sure. communities like Wilmington and Carson, where the refineries are. Cars are parked all over the street. And they're, they're, they're cheap cars. And, and generally, they're pieces, I call it a piece of crap. Some of the, the cars, people can't afford them. Wow. And you want them to buy an EV, they need a workhorse. Out of touch. And if all these cars parked on the street, because I'm trying to visualize, if they're parked on the street, there's going to be extension cords everywhere. <laughs> and if there's extension cords everywhere, 
you know, you keep reading about people uh, stealing catalytic converters. Yeah. Well, you know, with cash in on the metals, they're just going to take these long extension cords because copper is pretty valuable. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so it just goes on and on. Wow. It, yeah. Like you say, it's it's it, I think it's a disaster and people don't don't plan ahead. You know, the fact in California, we're not going to be able to buy an internal combustion engine in 2035. People aren't concerned about that today. Right. They might be concerned about it in 2034. I was talking to my gardener, you know, they're banning gas powered uh, mowers, gas powered blowers. Of course. And I says, I said, how does this affect you? He said, doesn't affect me at all. I, I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, A, when he buys a new piece of equipment, a new gas blower, a new gas mower, they'll last, you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. So he'll buy a new one in, you know, 2034. It'll last 10 years to 2044. And he'll be retired by then. So it's not a problem for him. It's amazing. And so it's the next generation that's going to be suffering. And, you know, the next generation, you know, it's it's tough. I know here in California with the cost of housing, you know, the kids coming out of college can't afford to live here. And now you can't afford to buy a vehicle. And those vehicles are going to just go up and up and up. Of course. So it's it's all geared around, you know, this this concept of net zero. Mm-hmm. And renewable energy is going to generate zero emissions. Well, Ronald, but we, the problem is it's only electricity, and they can't manufacture anything for society the way we have it today. Ronald, we've got to fix this, and this is the part of the podcast that I like the best because it's where I hand you the magic wand, and I would ask you this: I mean, if you have this magic wand, okay, and you can change ESG. Uh, would you just do with it away with it entirely, or w- how would you change it, and and why? What what would you change it? Well, first of all, I'd focus on humanity. You know how many people are being affected, because I I think energy literacy has got to be a conversation, because these are not conversations. When Biden says we're jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, all the press does is transcribe it. Yeah, we're jumping out of a parachute without a parachute, and. Uh, there's got to be a conversation because there's unintended consequences. There's no silver bullet answers. You can't pick a winner and pick a loser. Right. I think I think EVs would be great for, you know, like rental cars, which very seldom go a couple hundred miles. Uh, you know, some of the buses. I mean, certain things are pretty much limited to, you know, a couple hundred mile range, and that would probably work for them. But to impose that on everybody, um, like say all the EV owners here in California. They're multi-car families. You know, they'll they'll drive the EV because they can get in the uh, carpool lane. And uh, but if they want to go somewhere seriously on vacation, they right. use their SUV. They <laughs> use a real car. And um, and as I mentioned, you know, I I won't buy an EV for ethical reasons. But I think you want to take a look at humanity and ethical supply chains. I think that'll answer some of those questions because. If that that's fine, if you want EVs, you know, if you improve the labor laws in developing countries, improve the uh, environmental laws in labor countries, that'll make it an ethical supply chain. That's good news. The bad news, it's going to make lithium and cobalt a hell of a lot more expensive, yeah. which can drive up the cost. And um, no, I, I think energy literacy is is the main thing and conversation. Humanity. Humanity. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, it sounds to me like there's probably a lot more answers uh, in your book. Can you tell us again the name of your book and, and how folks might get a hold of this and, and read about it themselves? It's Clean Energy Exploitations. Uh, my website is energyliteracy.net. I've written okay. three books, and there's links. You can, it links you right to Amazon. You can just click and buy from there. And uh, energyliteracy.net. I all the opt-ed articles I write, uh, they can you know send me an email. I'll put them on my list. And like I say, I'm just trying to provide some conversations because it, in fact, when I give a presentation, I do not like to give a presentation. I will work with a moderator, and because most people are intimidated to ask an intelligent energy question, I give the moderator, I give the audience more than 60 questions, open-ended questions geared around energy. If you want to talk about you know, wind, or solar, uh, coal, EVs, you know, whatever, because I want to talk about something that's of interest to them that they can take back to their family and friends and talk mm -hmm. about. And so I'll give them uh, open-ended questions, and then they could read it modify whatever and stand up and ask an intelligent question right without being embarrassed right and uh but yeah that's that's the main thing it's got to be conversations because well, you know al gore you know he preaches but he has no conversations with anybody now he tells us that he invented the internet as well i always have to throw that out there <laughs> that's right that's right hallelujah <laughs> oh wow ronald this has been a great conversation and i can't thank you enough for for joining us and and sharing uh, your time with us today well thank you mark been a pleasure so until the next time have a great day and always be on the lookout for the elephant in the room